high short kick that is going to come up and bounce at the 20. Rutgers has a chance to recover it, and they do! What a play by the Scarlet Knights! Get it to Harper with three, with two, with one. Harper for the win! Got it! Down and 10 at the 21. Wimson hands it off. It's Benunga getting to the corner left. 20, 15, catching to 10. Benunga down near the goal line. He is in! Touchdown, Rutgers! Now with six. Baker making his move with five. Step back three for the lead. Welcome back to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. I'm Aaron Breitman, and very happy today to be joined by one of my former colleagues at On the Banks, who now has his own YouTube channel, Larry Kay of Nightwatch. Larry, thanks so much for being here. Aaron, thanks for having me. I'm very excited that we can link up officially on video for now, if, uh, finally, after our days with On the Banks, which uh, you put me on to, you know, really. So kind of got my start with you, so come full comes full circle now. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for a while and uh, we've been talking about it. And I think you're doing great work uh, with your channel right now. So people that don't know, definitely check out Nightwatch uh, doing uh, you know, a couple of videos a week. And uh, I think you're going to keep growing now. So uh, great work there. Wanted to get your take on uh, first uh, Rutgers football recruiting early signing period. Uh, signed the class uh, yesterday. Don't expect any more surprises for this uh, early cycle. But what were some of the, kind of your initial impressions or any uh, signees that kind of jump out to you in terms of being excited about the future? Well, I think I, I really think this class shows kind of an evolution, not only in, you know, philosophy, but in geography. Right. Geographically, this class is spanning a bunch of states that you don't necessarily always see Rutgers being a major player in. I think we might have the most signees from Florida this year, which we've been in Florida and we know Greg Schiano has connections to Florida from his days in Miami, from his previous stint. Um, but you're we're in Georgia. You know, and we're fending off, we're in North Carolina, we're fending off NC State for recruits. Um, we're in the Midwest. And I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, we can go after New Jersey kids that fit. And Shiano talked about all three things. You love football, you're a cultural fit, are you a physical fit, uh, you're a skill fit. Um, we can go for the kids in New Jersey that we want to go for, but we can expand the map with the growth of the Big Ten, with the notoriety of the program. And I think it's great. Uh, obviously, you get kids that are more local, like a Corey Duff, uh, who I'm very excited about. Big kid, listed as a tight end on some sites, could play wide out, you know, whatever. But athletic freak, really. Uh, we need that addition to our skill positions. Uh, I'm very excited about him. And he, we had to fend off Miami for him, some other programs of note. So it's nice to get him. Um, Kaj Sanders, obviously, in the top 10 in New Jersey, uh, a local kid, a, a big North kid. It's good to see him come in. And obviously we stay strong in the defensive backfield. Um, so, you know, Benjamin Black, another one. Um, North Carolina fending off NC State for him. I think what you're seeing with this class, Aaron, in my estimation is kids that if they were in New Jersey might even be ranked higher in the state of New Jersey. Some of these other states are absolutely loaded with talent. And what Greg has shown us in 2.0, he always talks about the pipeline is we're a developmental program in the sense that we are getting players that are not the finished polished product. We are going to get them to be the finished product. And at that time when they are upperclassmen, or even if they're earlier contributors, you know, while learning on the job, um, we're getting players from other states that have really unique and, and valuable skill sets and where 
strategic and purposeful about who we're going after. And I think it speaks to Greg's ability to develop talent. And uh, I like the new recruiting philosophy. This might be our best class of Greg 2.0, if not second best. And you wouldn't necessarily think so because you're not going after all these top 10 Jersey kids, save for a couple. Um, and obviously you have the capstone, AJ Sarace uh, from Princeton, New Jersey kid as well. Very talented and accurate quarterback who's kind of the cornerstone of this class. So I'm very excited. And I think it's a, a really good job and you're going to see the results uh, pan out. Yeah, you make some great points. I think uh, I, I do think it has a chance to be the best class, especially if you look back at 22. Unfortunately, you know, based on the way it was ranked back then, the way it's uh, looking right now, uh, it's it's not looking like it's going to outperform its ranking at all. But I think there's a lot of depth in this class. But I agree. I, th I, th I think Rutgers as a whole, a lot of programs for so many years were so reliant and dependent on local recruiting new jersey obviously olympic sports the budgets are a lot smaller for recruiting but um you know new jersey has always been one of those you know like some kids just want to get out you know they don't yeah. want to stay no matter how good the situation might be and i think shiano has shown a good shift and um you know i even had someone misinterpret me from yesterday when david anderson and i were talking about you know how we think it is a little temporary in terms of being so national in terms of their approach and I think it's going to be more of kind of a hybrid where you are going to try to get, you know, the best New Jersey kids you can, but you also have these new connections, like you mentioned in North Carolina, Georgia, you know, I love what they're doing in Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin and, you know, tapping into the big 10 and of course, Florida. And not only that they got more guys from Florida, but they got higher ranked guys in Florida than they have typically, uh, which is encouraging as well. But I think that, you know, especially with just the, I think what Sean has done really well is he's adapted to, the reality of the situation. And when he talks about getting guys that fit us, he, he made a good point yesterday that I kind of forgot about. It's like all these guys were committed by September. Like this isn't a boon off of this success this past season. That of I'm sure helped retain the class that he has. But uh, I guess is that even more encouraging in your mind in terms of these guys were locked in before the season and now, you know, with what they've accomplished off the field and on the field, does this set them up for even more progress on the recruiting trail in 25. I think I'm 100% encouraged by that fact. And I didn't even really think about it until I was listening to you guys. And I think maybe Dave, and I was, I was thinking, you know, you're, you're right. These guys were committed early before the season when expectations were, Hey, maybe the ceiling six and six, maybe. And they obviously Greg and this staff is, are selling something as far as development, as far as program, as far as culture that these young men are buying into. And if we are recruiting at that level nationally uh, prior to this season, coming off a losing season, uh, although there was some progress evident, you know, not like this year, now we're coming off a six and six year, a bowl appearance against a notable program in Miami. Uh, it's got to be a boon for recruiting going forward. I'm very encouraged by it because obviously this staff knows what they're doing with identifying talent, you know, recruiting talent and then retaining them and defending against other people coming in and trying to poach the recruits. If they're doing that prior to a six and six season where we're on the, you know, an ascension in the Big Ten, and I talk to guys nationally who I'm friends with, with other things I do, who watch the Ohio State game, you know, from other states that have no affiliation with Rutgers, and even some of the people that are like local Jersey naysayers, they had to admit, wow, that was impressive showing by Rutgers against Ohio State. One example, I know we lost in the end, but the season as a whole, the wins and then looking competitive in a lot of the losses. And this recruiting class coming in, having, you know, not even seen that yet, 
it's got to bode well for the future. And you got to like what you're seeing with the philosophy and the ability of the staff to go out and recruit nationally. Totally agree. And uh, having a little bit of, of transfer portal success already with Tamir Miller from uh, Tamir Miller from Monmouth, uh, led FCS in receiving yards. Uh, certainly a, a big win for them early. And the whole transfer portal thing, the way it's in cycles now with this first cycle and then it'll be another cycle in January. I, I thought it was fascinating. This is the first time Rutgers, you know, has kind of experienced being in the postseason and in the offseason at the same time and how Shiano has managed that. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts in terms of the transfer portal, what Rutgers has done, you know, who they're talking to? They obviously lost out on a couple of people already as well. Um, but just kind of the expectations of where they should be uh, in terms of plugging some of those holes. I mean, look, you get somebody like Daimir in here who was the leading FCS receiver this year. I think he, he might be all time or something. I mean, absolute baller. Uh, on a skill position, a position of need. If you've looked at kind of what we've been able to do, we've been able to get like a, a significant role player at wide receiver almost every year in the transfer portal. Now, one end of that is, you know, you want your own guys to develop and we've brought in some really talented recruits and things. But the fact that we're able to bring in, you know, number one or number two receivers almost every year through the portal shows that despite some of the challenges that are there that exist for Rutgers in the portal, we're able to, you know, augment our team with needed positions every year to some extent. Uh, but what I'm more impressed by, honestly, <laughs> I'm impressed by our ability to retain our current players. Like, I got to be honest with you. Last year, like you spoke about that class that, you know, two years ago, you know, the class with Sam Brown and all those guys. You see them, they're like, okay, they're they're on the, they're ascending, they're young. Maybe they're still waiting to see what happens. And, you know, one year people try to poach them, but they're, you know, staying fast. But I expect it to be quite honest with you. And it has nothing to do with the program, the trajectory, the coach, which I all think is in good shape. I thought just guys like to hit the portal. There's opportunities in the portal. They get tired of their surroundings. There's there's money. There's back, you know, room, you know, feelers being put out. And I thought we'd lose at least one or two key contributors or at least have to fend them off. And, and all we saw after the Maryland game and leading up to this pinstripe bowl appearance is key player after key player announcing that they're returning to Rutgers. It, it speaks volumes obviously to Greg's ability to re-recruit his own guys, because we always say now with NIL, you got to re-recruit your own players. Whatever we have going on with the retention aspect of our NIL platform and the trajectory of the program and the culture, and it speaks to at the front end, who is the staff bringing in? Obviously, people who really want to be at Rutgers for the right reasons, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to hold on to them. I mean, you see Flip Dixon come back, Kyle Manungai, who – You'd think would have thrown his hat into the draft, perhaps, but he's coming back. Um, Longer Beam, who was maybe arguably our best corner last year, uh, with Max Melton going to the draft, but Longer Beam, key key piece on that defense. Um, and Holland Pierce, like just guys that are cornerstones. Tyreen Powell, cornerstones of this program. Almost every one of them coming back, if not all of them. Uh, nobody unexpected for me so far. It speaks volumes just, just about the trajectory of the program and the ability of this staff to navigate a brave new world. Yeah, very well said. I, I think the, the, you know, everyone wants more. Everyone, you know, thinks that, you know, the line should continue to go up in terms of the trajectory of the program. 
I was really concerned that, you know, like you said, if some of those guys did not come back, uh, would they even be able to replicate a six and six year next year? I know people say the schedule is easier next year. It's, it's, it's really not that much easier. If You know, yes, you don't have Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, but, you know, uh, USC, uh, Washington, you know, who already has reloaded quarterback wise through the portal. Um, you know, you have uh, Wisconsin's going to be better. You know mm-hmm. that. Uh, so it, it, nothing is is guaranteed in the Big Ten. And uh, I, I felt like if they lost some of those core guys, they could potentially take a step back. And you just can't afford to do that right now. So I think the stability of the program is huge. And I think that is a credit to Shiano. I think also just expectations need to be in check a little bit. You know, getting up to this point, it's always not to say that it's been easy to get, but the same thing with basketball, right? Like you can go from bad to not bad to, you know, middle of the pack a lot easier than you can go from middle of the pack to top, top of the line. So I think there, it just because like, and we've seen basketball kind of, you know, uh, stay in that middle of the pack area now for a few years. Hopefully we all hope there's going to be a major, major point up next year. For obvious reasons, but my point is, if fo- if football is even just you know, yes, there's a lot of hope with all these guys coming back. But even if they're just six and six or seven and five next year, I don't look at that as a failure. I look at that as Shiano being able to sustain the success he's been able to build, and it's not you know with the NIL situation. And uh, I'd be uh, remiss to not uh, we would not be we did not point out Knights of the Raritan the job they've done in terms of the collective retaining players. That's been their goal. As you said, 10 returning starters coming back. That's been huge. Um, but I also think even though all this optimism is there, patience still needs to be there too because I, I don't necessarily see them just automatically being able to make a jump to 8-4, and 9-3 and three next year just because these guys are coming back. I look at it as more the floor has been raised. The ceiling is still debatable, I think, in terms of what they're able to do the rest of this offseason. Yeah, look, I think um... – you, you make an excellent point. And, and I think as Rutgers fans, Rutgers analysts, Rutgers, you know, writers, whatever it may be, it's important to have objectivity and understand that I, there's a sociological, psychological phenomenon where, you know, you rapidly adjust to your new success and then you automatically start craving more instead of pausing to reflect on how fortunate you are. Right. I think, you know, but preseason, I predicted six and six, you know, and it wasn't necessarily a guarantee, but you could see where the program was, where some other programs were. I think a lot of people went in maybe hoping, praying we'd get six and six, but thinking the floor was, you know, ceiling was a little lower. Then we go six and six and people all of a sudden get really excited in there. And I know Greg Shiano, that's what he's got to do. You know, we're going to be national champions. That's the goal. And there's nothing wrong <laughs> with having those goals and speaking confidently. But you got to understand where Rutgers is and and you got a have patience, but B you made another good point. I mean, this is going to be a consistent fight every year, not only with the schedule. Yes. You lose the big three in the big 10 East, but then you gain three of the best teams out in the West coast. Okay. And you don't know how the matchups are going to go and things like that, but these are formidable opponents to say the least every year. Rutgers is going to have to fight to keep, you know, Greg's talking about a pipeline and developmental program. Well, well, what he did this year is going to be important every year because your best players are going to be people that you've brought in and developed who may not necessarily have been the most sought after coming out of high school, even if there was some formidable opposition when you tried to recruit them. You know, they're going to develop into even better players 
under this system. And you're going to need them to remain in the program, to remain competitive. And Aaron, that's just to stay where we are in that mid-tier respectable level. And I think Rutgers fans are quick to, I don't want to say quick to forget, and I don't want to discourage anybody's optimism, but quick to forget these Chris Ash years where we were sitting there and I was like not even going into games anymore. (laughs) And I'm a diehard sitting there in the rain against Wisconsin in 2014. And I won't even go into the games because I've had it, you know, being a respectable program on the field, you've always been a respectable program off the field. You know, that's not really up for debate, but being a respectable program on the field, you know, looking like we belong, even in our losses, getting around 500, trying to get just above 500, making bowl games, which we'll get into that, I'm sure. But some people, you know, with the playoff and then the expanded playoff, I think some people diminish the relevance of the lower tier bowl games. But college football, Aaron, has always been to me like it's for alumni. It's for, you know, young people coming through the school and through the program who are future alumni, camaraderie, interaction with other schools, fun tailgates. Sports talk, I mean, there's more to it than just the national title. And I think Rutgers is always going to have an uphill battle every year. We're going to reset for another uphill battle. Incrementally, it will get better, but it's not going to be a straight line, and it's going to take a lot of work. So I think patience is a virtue if you're a Rutgers fan. And that's not me being pessimistic. I'm very optimistic about the state of the program, just objective, you know. Totally agree. Uh, And my my one mini rant is – being respectable off the field, 2015, the lone exception, which is why I always get very upset when Kyle Flood's name gets mentioned and people want to give him a break. And I, I have nothing against him personally, and I'm happy for his success as a coordinator with Texas and everywhere else he's mm-hmm. been. But that was just the damage he did to the program that year. I, I think people still don't fully understand and how that still impacts us today in terms of where they're trying to get back. Uh, yeah. That was a huge step back in so many ways. Uh, I tweeted when he, uh, what was it about? Um, something about, uh, oh, I forget. It was something about, I made a joke about uh, when he wore the Princeton hat. And, oh, it was someone mentioned him as a candidate for Syracuse. And I said he was out buying a Cornell hat right now. And people got <laughs> mad at me for saying that. But, uh, you know, it's I'll never let that go. That's just for me, the way that he kind of, he had the, the, the reins of the program and he kind of, he dropped the ball big time. So, again, nothing against him personally or as a, as a coach elsewhere, but, I thought that Rutgers is still paying for some of those mistakes uh, and all those arrests that happened. It was it, people forget how poorly we were thought of in the Big Ten, and it's kind of amazing. Like it's still refresh. You know, you talk about being realistic and also uh, short memories and all that, and you know how refreshing it is to hear people talk positively about Rutgers. But it, it's even more so because of all the negativity that we had in the Big Ten from other fan bases for so long that we now have this positivity coming at us. Um, it, it's, it's certainly refreshing. Now I'm going to flip the script. Everything we just said in terms of being objective and being optimistic and everything, if they lose the pinstripe bowl and they finish out with five straight losses, how what, does it change your thoughts on the trajectory for the program and for next year's ceiling? I don't think it changes my thoughts on the trajectory or next year's ceiling, but I do think it it should cause everybody because there's some debate right now about, you know, were we held back by certain aspects of the team? Could we have even gone higher, you know, and, and smash the ceiling? I don't necessarily subscribe to that because when you set a ceiling, that's the ceiling, i.e. that's the highest level you could possibly attain. Readjusting that too much is kind of, I don't 
I don't rock with that. I think getting to the ceiling is the ceiling, and that was mission accomplished. However, if you go out and you win the bowl game, you exercise that Miami demon, which is another big S, Big East demon, you know, put to rest, which is always good for a program that wants to be ascending. Um, and you kind of show that look, our philosophy this year, you know, has proven to be successful. We reached our goal, which was a bowl game, but I think for Rutgers, even more so than some of the other programs that are perennial bowl teams, uh, it's important to win that bowl game, right? For a lot of reasons, to put the kind of the the capstone on the season, to put that little trophy in the case, you know, whatever rings and whatnot, and just have that memorable year that's catapulting us to the next year, especially when we, now we lost on a four game losing streak, but I think that's just by virtue of the schedule, right? You, you can only play the games on. And if Indiana and Michigan State had been later in the season, probably feel a little bit different because we would have finished the season on an upward you know, trajectory. Uh, we still reached our goal and our, our ceiling, but the feeling isn't as good as if we win. And I think if we do lose to Miami, and if we do lose, I think it could be somewhat of in the fashion as Maryland. I'm not saying necessarily a blowout game if we lose, but more so you know, trouble with the skill positions and whatnot in a different style of play because I think in the trenches, we line up pretty well with Miami. Um, I think it just, I don't think it disrupts the trajectory or my optimism. I think it should just bear a little bit more, you know, looking at where the deficiencies on the team is, where they can upgrade, and philosophically what they can change going into next year to shore things up a little bit more. If they win, I think you still got to do that because it's part of the offseason process no matter what every year. But I think you're a little more confident. You're a little more, you know, solidified in, look, our philosophy, our personnel, our team is certainly trending in the right direction. We had some bad breaks late in the season, but, you know, we finished it the way we wanted to. We beat an ACC team that, you know, with a court, their third quarterback now, not that he's not talented, but they have a lot of defections in Miami, unlike Rutgers right now. And it just shores up like we did what we were supposed to do. Whatever, you know, changes we make in the offseason is really tweaking something that's already wor working as opposed to, hey, some of these things we might have to tear down a little bit and rebuild in certain ways. So I think that's an interesting it's going to be an interesting conversation subsequent to this bowl game, you know, depending on how it goes. And if we lose or win, how do we lose or win? You know, all these things are going to matter to me. And I think it just goes a little bit more into how the offseason goes, but it wouldn't disrupt my my optimism or thoughts about the trajectory of the program. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I guess my concern is there's so much excitement right now with the players that are returning. Uh, and, you know, this is a chance for them to make a real statement, you know, get the first winning season in nine years. Uh, you get the first bowl win in nine years. And you you really give yourself your program internally you know, that boost of momentum going into the offseason, going into offseason workouts, uh, spring practice, not really that far away uh, once you get into January. And just with the, the recruiting momentum they have right now um, and with what they were able to do on the field, I agree. Scheduling is certainly why they're kind of admired in this four game losing streak. But you're right. It's a good point in terms of how how do they win or lose this game? Uh, and I think their identity as as of right now is how they can win it by uh, the run game defense. And you touched on, you know, Miami being down a lot, which I think actually puts more pressure on Rutgers to win the game because uh, they are in a better, much better situation in terms of that roster retention. And we're all excited about next season, but it's a huge advantage for this bowl game too. Uh, I, I watched a press conference of the defensive coordinator for Miami the other day. And he was like, 
you know, obviously it was coach talk, but he was like in denial that, you know, he was missing guys. He's like missing half his defense uh, in terms of starters going into this game. So, and I think, you know, cold weather environment, you know, we should have more Rutgers fans there. There's, there's a lot in Rutgers favor that this is a game, I think for the fan base, for the program, this is a step they have to take. I, I thought, you know, we talked about other steps that, yeah, people wanted, you know, not just to get to six and six, seven to five, eight and four. That was a little unrealistic, I think. But for me, this is a fair, I think, expectation that you go into this game, you got to win this game. It's not a must win per se, but I think that the positives you can get from it are huge. And the negatives, like you said, they're not, it's not the end of the world, but, it, it, you know, for, for a lack of eloquent uh, response, it, it would be a bummer. It, it, it would just, no, you're it, right. it, it would kind of put a little bit of a, of a, of a, um, I guess, blue spot on what overall has been a season of progress. Yeah, I agree. And I think like what I said about the Maryland situation, if we lose in that fashion or in that style, I think now you got to look, you know, at at coaching at, you know, what's your game planning issue with teams like this? You know, can you adjust to teams like this, things of that nature? It would certainly call it into question because every point you just made, I patently agree with, with the state of Miami, where the game is, the state of us, I expect to win. The kids should expect to win. The coaching staff should expect to win. And if we don't, it certainly bears many more questions in many ways. So let's, I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but if it does, yeah, I mean, I think it, it just bears more questions in the off season, 100%. Yeah. And just to back you up on that, like, like you're right, how they win, how they lose. But at the end of the day, if they win, they win. It's always better to have deal with deficiencies and, and have to regroup after a win than a loss, as I know, you know, um, all right, so let's let's delve into hoops a little bit. Uh, men's basketball, obviously, a uh, huge opportunity on Saturday. Quad one, uh, neutral court uh, opponent, Mississippi State, uh, eight and two this year. Always a really good team. Uh, very similar in terms of two very good defensive teams. Rutgers got a boost last night with Seton yep. Hall dominating UConn uh, on the same floor. They're playing on Saturday, and on the same floor, Rutgers beat. And, and dominated maybe not as much as Seton Hall dominated UConn, but Rutgers, you know, that score was not nearly as uh, – it was not indicative of, of how the game actually was in terms of how much Rutgers dominated. Uh, I guess how encouraged have you been by that win over Seton Hall and, and any thoughts just in terms of, you know, the importance of this game on Saturday and kind of the outlook for this team? I think, you know, coming into this season, obviously there's a lot of question marks. I mean, it's it's a transitionary year, as we all know. We know who's coming in next year. We know what we lost the last couple of years. Uh, but good programs, in my opinion, and, and that's what Pike wants to be, a sustaining good program. When you have a class coming in like we do next year, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a transitionary year. You might not be at the top of the conference. You might not be uh, a shoe-in for the tournament, but you still want to be a respectable team and you want to see development over the year. Just because it's a transitionary year doesn't mean you shouldn't have high expectations or at least reasonably high expectations. I think Seton Hall, you know, it kind of goes to what I what I thought of in the football season. You know, we beat Northwestern, we beat Virginia Tech, and a lot of people are kind of poo-pooing it. Like, well, they're one of the worst teams in the Power Five. Didn't wind up being the case, right? Both teams wound up being pretty good. And Seton Hall, it's a road game. And no matter how you slice it, under Steve Peichel, going into Newark, going into the Rock against Seton Hall, uh, for many years has been a problem. Going on the road in general has been an issue and kind of a, a problem for this team. So to go on the road in a hostile environment, in a rivalry game, where we haven't performed well over the last several years, especially after how Seton Hall kind of embarrassed us on our floor, and just a little tidbit, 
I live in Newark and I walk through the Gateway Center all the time to get to New Jersey Transit and whatnot. And Seton Hall has a little visitor center in there. And on repeat for a year, all you see are the highlights of them beating us in basketball on our home court. And I walked by the other day. I didn't see anything like that. And it was nice. Okay. But, <laughs> That's so hysterical. It's, it's hilarious. So, you know, I think then with their win subsequent to, to our game, you don't know how they're going to turn out. So at, at face value, going on a, on the road against a rival was a big win. It was good for the team as far as morale, as far as confidence, as far as chemistry. You get Mawat Mag back, which I, a lot of people wondered, is this a glue guy? I don't know if he's a glue guy anymore, Aaron. I think he might be. He is probably the best defender on the team one of the best rebounders on the team he's not just a glue guy he's one of the he's one of the best players on the team so yep. it, it bodes well we got him back we do what we have to do against Seton Hall they're looking much better especially after last night it gives me some more confidence for the year but I think you mentioned the Mississippi State game I'm going to be at that game um it's this Saturday this is a neutral court game, which, again, we've been trying for years to bulk up our neutral court schedules. These are things that go into you know the analysis come March. This team doesn't have any ridiculous blemishes on its record like some teams in the past few years have had, but it doesn't necessarily have a record where you're like, wow, this is we're definitely doing great. I think this game, win or lose again, hopefully win, you win this game, I think you're on a, a, you know, you're in a good place resume-wise going into March if you win this game. You lose this game, I want to see, and even in a win, I want to see is is this mag returning and this new chemistry, this Jamichael Davis getting more minutes, you know, this Cliff finding his rhythm a little bit more around the rim, uh, is this permanent? Is this for real? And I, against a, a formidable opponent like Mississippi State on a neutral court, you're going to get we're going to get to see it, and it's going to tell us a lot about how the rest of the season is going to go. I think, I think we've seen some of the limitations of of trying to get Cliff further out on the post, some of the limitations of living and dying by the three point shot. We 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 live by it, like against Seton Hall, but then we die by it if we're not going to be that hot all the time, which we're not going to be. I'm I'm looking forward to the challenge. Because I want to see if this new chemistry with this newfound, you know, lineup and rotation is for real. And I think this game is going to go a long way in telling us that. I think those are some great points. And I think that this is, you know, from a non-conference perspective, you're right. This is kind of the game we've been looking for uh, in terms of differentiating our resume uh, for uh, the NCAA tournament selection committee. And, you know, nine and two, I said this uh, previously, you know, if you would say they went nine and two in non-conference, I think everyone would sign up for that and have the opportunity to do that. Obviously, have to take care of business against Stonehill. Uh, but uh, this would be, you know, a, a true resume builder, a quad one win. Uh, Seton Hall is right on the cusp now of being a quad one road win. We'll see how their season goes, like you said, but um, certainly would give them momentum going into the Big Ten slate. And I think solidify, you know, they're, they're not really, if you're, you're looking at bracketology right now, they're not being mentioned at all. So right. um, I, I am optimistic, not only in terms of, I think that this team's still evolving based on Mag just coming back, Davis ascending, uh, like you said, and then also, you know, the possibility of Jeremiah Williams coming back uh, based on the NCAA ruling with the gambling situation. Um, I might be back, you know, in January in terms of bolstering depth in the front court. 
uh, Gavin Griffiths is, you know, he's, he's, I, I think what we're seeing right now, we're seeing glimpses uh, where in February, I think you're going to see a more complete player. I do think I mentioned this before, he's going to have to get stronger in the off season, but um, obviously offensively, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like he's probably the most skilled offensive player on the team right now, other than maybe Noah Fernandes uh, in terms of just being able to, to create their own shots. But I think that, yeah, there's a lot in play where if you can win this game, again, momentum-wise, I think it does wonders for you moving forward uh, with two critical road games to start Big Ten play in January. Um, I guess how impressed have you been with the freshmen, Davis and Griffiths, uh, and how they've kind of been brought along? And, uh, you know, Paykel having kind of the the gumption, you know, we haven't I've, – I've said this a lot, you know, he kind of had a lineup he could just roll out there for a few years now. And um, – I think to, to shift from Simpson to Davis, I, I think you have to give him credit for making that call, and it's worked wonders so far. I, I love that he made that call, and I think you know it's important when you're watching young players like that, freshman players, you have to look for glimpses. You have to look for skill sets. You have to look for things because the strength, the experience isn't going to be there early in the year. And what I've seen from both of those players is a legitimate glimpse at developing – really, really good players. And if we look at what's coming in next year and even the end of this season, like you said, if they can develop even more to the point where, you know, they are as strong as we know they can be, or at least closer to their, you know, pinnacle, although they won't get there this year probably, which is good because they hopefully will in subsequent years. Um, I, I like both of them. I like both of their skill sets. You've seen flashes from both of them. The switch from Simpson to Davis, I do give them credit. Um, Simpson was somebody obviously who came on strong the end of last season. Um, not not being pessimistic necessarily about him, but you know there were some struggles early this year, and and the development that you wanted to see be evident early, we didn't necessarily see in a lot of those games early on. So to to get Davis in there and to give Griffiths run when needed and know when it's time to give Gavin a break, I think has been also a, a key factor here. And I think it's important to get Davis in the rhythm and to get him rolling because he brings energy. He brings, you know, pretty good defense for a freshman. Um, and you need to get these guys reps. You need to get them minutes, you know, for experience for the end of this season and beyond. So it's been interesting to watch them, even when earlier in the year we weren't sure about what the chemistry and makeup and rotation of this team would be. It was encouraging to see those guys and what they could do um, and you mentioned something too about the the record going in out of conference nine and two. The Big Ten isn't necessarily as strong as it always has been. So the opportunity to make up ground there, not that we necessarily need to make up ground, but the out of conference schedule, especially with the way it was set up, I think could bode really well for us if we can get this Mississippi State win because Wake isn't bad, was on the road, and Princeton turned out to be a pretty good team. So, um, you know, you have a decent resume if you can win this game. And with the way the team is playing now with Davis getting those minutes and, and Griffiths coming on and Mag back, uh, not to mention a couple of the other guys, even Noah finding his footing um, because he's a talented, smart, experienced player. And that's evident. Uh, and when he has struggled, I think there's some other factors there. But having those two on the floor, having Mag back, knowing how to feed Cliff properly uh, and create, and especially Mag on those boards, uh, just has been really a great revelation and I'm looking forward to the the ceiling of this team with Griffiths and Davis getting more and more experience, getting more and more comfortable and putting those skills and glimpses that we see to work. 
Yeah, for sure. You uh, mentioned a good point with the non-conference schedule. I mean, if you look around the country, there's a lot of high major teams have bad losses right now. Even Mississippi State lost to Southern. Uh, That was a bad loss for them, even though they're still ranked uh, quite a bit higher. Uh, So for Rutgers, yeah, I mean, even, you know, even if they lose Mississippi State, it would be a missed opportunity. Uh, But if they can beat Stonehill, they do go into the Big Ten without any bad losses. Uh, And I agree with you. I think because of the state of the conference, the bar is raised in terms of how many, you know, in the past, if you if you went eight and three, nine and two and you went ten and ten in the Big Ten. Other than last year when we saw Rutgers get snubbed, uh, that was pretty much good to make it. Uh, where this year, I, I don't think that's the case. I think they got to win at least 11 and 12. And I think getting that ninth win against Mississippi State, your best win, it would be in the non-conference. That certainly would help you uh, resume-wise for sure uh, yes. moving forward and give a lot of confidence. And and I, I think, speaking of confidence, the thing that stands out the most for me on Griffiths and Davis is how much confidence they play with because it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Obviously Griffith's a high rated player. Uh, Davis was not, uh, he, uh, lifelong friends with Ace Bailey. So, you know, playing with him, I'm sure has helped his swagger over the years, but mm-hmm. I'm just impressed with how poised they are, uh, and how confident they've been. And I think it's really helped this team. And I think the personality of this team is still evolving as well. Uh, which, which, which bodes well, uh, I think moving forward, uh, long-term, I guess, how just, you know, I know you've been a fan a long time. W- what has it meant to you just to see this program rise up and then now with the potential in the future, with the way they're recruiting um, and, and how the future is looking? Uh, is it something maybe, you know, seven, eight years ago, you know, when things were really bad, did you ever think was possible in this in this Big Ten era? Yeah, so first I'll I'll touch on something you just said too, which I think is really important. You said that we don't really know the personality of this team yet. I think that's important because if you look at the last iteration of success on this team, which obviously was the Geo Baker, Ron Harper Jr. years, and and Caleb and and all those guys, you know, you saw Geo come in first as a freshman and he was just getting his feet wet a little bit and he was a skinny kid and he was, you saw flashes, but then Ron comes in and you start to develop that personality and that takes time. And to have Griffiths and Davis here now with some guys like Mac who still have eligibility left, you have to start developing that personality now. And that's going to continue into next year with the new additions. So the fact that Davis is even friends with Ace and things like that, that all is part of that second, you know, this iteration of the team building its personality. That's why this year is still important, even though it may not be the pinnacle. Speaking of the pinnacle, to answer your question, I think any Rutgers fan would be, you know, I think we all thought we could get to a level of respectability like we have the past few years, and that's been an absolute boon to fans, to alumni. I mean, the sense of pride when people around the country, people around the state recognize you as a good team. And that's how we've been recognized the past several years. It's obvious in the way people interact with you, in the way you feel about your team, in the rack, now Jersey Mike's, and the the energy there. When you're bringing guests, I have two season tickets without a a solidified second person. So I bring different people, and to see them excited, to see the environment, to see them really enjoy themselves because of the environment, because of the competitiveness of the team, has been awesome. Now, when you're talking about what we have coming in next year, obviously with Harper and, and Ace and Somerville, I mean... I never, and I don't. I don't think I. If you would ask me, you know, oh, is it ever feasible? I think I would think it's feasible because of where we are in the country, and and we're a big school, and we're in the Big Ten. But I wouldn't have guessed that it would happen. 
you know, getting two of the top three kids in the entire country committed to Rutgers, and especially with the challenges of NIL and all these other things, we're getting two of the top players. Now, one of them, I understand his brother went here and he's a legacy and they're close with the, the staff, but he had to say he had options is an understatement with the programs <laughs> that were coming after him. And we've seen several other legacies not come here, Aaron. So, I mean, just the way it, I think it just, it, I, I think it's incredible. I don't even know where to start. I mean, obviously speaks to Pykel, speaks to building a foundation that's respectable to then reach that next step. You talked about going from mid tier to top tier. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself with on the court results because we'll see, but this is the way you go from mid tier to top tier. And it starts with building that consistent foundation at the mid tier over several years so that people feel confident coming here. I would have never, never guessed that we'd see this level, this level of success on the recruiting trail at Rutgers this soon. It's incredibly exciting, as you know. And I mean, the buzz that's going to go on next year. I, one thing I'll say is I do have faith. Like we just talked about building a personality. I have faith that Steve Peichel and his staff are not just going to assume, oh, we have all this talent. We're going to throw it out there. I think they're already sowing the seeds with these young players, building that personality and culture so that when these talented guys get here next year, in addition to the guys that stay on, we have a, a, a roadmap and a semblance of an identity and organization so that we can make the most uh, of the year or two, you know, that we're really going to have these, these players. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Great points. And I, to your point about, you know, raising the the ceiling of the program, I think just the way the recruiting in 25 as well, just gives reinforcement of that, you know, 24 is not going to be a one hit wonder. I think that they're they're they've really they kind of they've delved into another realm in terms of where they're thought of on the recruiting trail and the success yeah. they're having. And I think stability of coaching staff on both sides, football and basketball, has been key. Um, but yeah, it's it's truly an exciting time. And uh you're one of the best out there covering Rutgers Athletics. Larry K, check him out on Nightwatch on YouTube. Uh and uh, you know, been wanting to do this for a long time. It's always great talking to you uh about Rutgers. And uh, you do awesome work. So I hope people find your channel out there and uh, and and watch watch you as much as they watch me. Yeah, Aaron, I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Go check. And by the way, it's Night KN, obviously, guys, just so you know, when you type it in YouTube, like Scarlet Night Watch. Uh, check me out and obviously keep tuning into Aaron. I'm probably one of Aaron's biggest listeners. And I know he listens to me. So the more Rutgers content we get out there and the more we collaborate, you know, the, the better conversations we have for all the listeners and viewers and Rutgers faithful out there, uh, Scarlet faithful out there. So uh, it's been a pleasure, brother, and I really appreciate it. Absolutely, and look forward to coming back on soon. And thanks to everybody for listening and watching once again here at the Scarlet Faithful Podcast.